Hey everyone, I hope you're all doing well and having a wonderful week. We are continuing a series that we began last week entitled Respectable Sin. As I said at the beginning of our series, uh, these are some books that I um, have read and have greatly blessed me and impacted my life and so I hope to share them with each and every one of you and I hope that it will be a blessing to you as well. Now starting things off, uh, this week what we're going to be focusing on is the sin of ungodliness. Now I know for many people uh, that seems like a very broad category. Isn't that basically all sins? All sins are are ungodly. Uh, But as Jerry Bridges will argue in his book, This is actually a very specific sin that has kind of been merged with other various concepts of sin. And so we've lost this this idea of ungodliness, but it is something that is very, very pervasive in all of our lives, even as Christians. Now, um, he starts off this chapter uh, looking at pride because most people, according to Jerry Bridges, um, would argue that pride is the root of all sins. After all... Uh, Most people would point to the sin of Lucifer, who later became Satan, and uh, they point to various biblical passages uh, tending to show that uh, perhaps Lucifer fell from grace and fell into sin because of pride. And so they would say that uh, that is the first sin, that is the first Um, That is the root of all sins that that come after that, and so pride is the root of all sins. We also see with Adam and Eve, uh, they wanted to uh, be like God, even though they were already created in the image of God. They wanted to, they felt like God was holding something back from them, and so they wanted wanted this thing that, that seemed out of their grasp, and so as they thought about themselves rather than God, uh, they um, they in pride took of the fruit, ate of it, and led the human race into sin. And so uh, there are numerous examples that are often given for pride being the root of sin. And that's not a bad argument. That's the one I've heard most often. But I think um, uh, Jerry Burgess does a wonderful job of presenting a counter-argument, another contender uh, for the root of all sins, and that is the sin of ungodliness. Uh, And what uh, Jerry Bridges argues is that ungodliness is this idea of going through life where you just don't think about God. It's not necessarily wicked behavior. It is just this pervasive um, uh, attitude or habit of thinking where you just don't think of God. And so he points to Romans uh, 1 verse 18. Many of you will be familiar with this passage. Uh, Paul writes, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And one of the points that um, um, uh, Jerry Burgess makes about this particular passage is that Paul makes a distinction between unrighteousness and ungodliness. And so by making that distinction, Paul's pointing at two very different things that oftentimes we merge together. We often think ungodliness is the same as unrighteousness, but that's not actually the case. And I I love that um, uh, the author points this out. He, He points to the fact that ungodliness is, like I said, um, refers to not behavior, not actions that you've done, but thoughts and attitudes. In fact, the the definition uh, that most uh, biblical dictionaries have of what this Greek word means, it means a lack of reverence 
towards God. And so it's just this, I'm not thinking of God as, um, as the creator, the one who is the center of, of my life and all of all creation. I'm not giving him the reverence and honor, the, the mindfulness that I need to. I'm just kind of going about my life without any thought of God. That's what ungodliness is. Now, contrast that with unrighteousness literally means um, lawlessness. It means um, actions against God. It's words, it's deeds, it's things that other people can see. See, that that's where um, I think is a really big point that we need to consider here. Someone can have all the right actions and do all the right things. They can go to church. They can be a good, upstanding person on the outside where everyone can see. But their uh, inward thoughts and attitudes and general disposition towards life can be very ungodly. In fact, I want to read, it's a little bit of a lengthy quote, but it's a good quote uh, from um, the book Respectable Sins. And this is what Jerry Bridges says. He says, ungodliness may be defined as living one's everyday life with little or no thought of God, or of God's will, or of God's glory, or of one's dependence on God. You can readily see, then, that someone can lead a respectable life and still be ungodly in the sense that God is essentially irrelevant in his or her life. We rub shoulders with such people every day in the course of our ordinary activities. They may be friendly, courteous, and helpful to other people, but God is not at all in their thoughts. They may even attend church for an hour or so each week, but then live the remainder of the week as if God doesn't exist. They are not wicked people, but they are ungodly. Now, I think that was just a phenomenal quote that really encapsulates what uh, um, uh, Jerry Bridges is trying to argue in this chapter of ungodliness. It's this idea that these are good people. They're salt-of-the-earth people. They say the right things. They do the right things. Uh, they say good morning when they see you out in public. They are uh, maybe even help you change your tire if you break down on the side of the road. They're good people. They may be even good Christian uh, going to church people, but they're ungodly. And that's what trips up a lot of people. They think, well, how can I be Christian and ungodly at the same time? And again, as, as we'll see as we go forward, all of us to some extent have a, a degree or a level of ungodliness, even Christians, because all of us from time to time um, go about life and do certain activities without any thought of God, his glory, his will for our life, his will for us in that particular situation. We're not doing everything that we do in life for the glory and for the honor of God. That's just a part of our brokenness. The only person who's ever lived a perfectly godly life with all thoughts and attitudes directed towards God is Jesus. And so all of us fall on this uh, sliding scale of godliness being on one end and ungodliness being on the other. And so what I want to do real quick uh, is kind of list some of the examples that uh, the book gives us as to ways that we tend to go through life living ungodly as Christians. And so the first one, and again, I'll, let me warn you up front, this can get a little painful uh, because it really steps on our toes. But the first one that we see... <clears throat> is that un, uh, we are often ungodly 
in our plans, in our scheduling of activities, in our uh, dreams and aspirations in the direction that we're taking our life, when we're planning our vacations, when we're planning our finances, when we're just um, going through the busyness of life, we can um, plan out our days, schedule our time, and go about our activities without any thought of God and His will for our life. Now here's uh, the verse of scripture that Jerry Bridges points out. He says, James 4 verses 13 through 15 says this, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live um, and do this or that. Now, this is a a great practical verse of scripture that is pointed out here where uh, the the problem that James is, is highlighting and drawing our attention to it's not that we don't need to plan. Planning is not the problem. You can't go through life without planning, or at least if you don't plan, you're not going to have a very enjoyable life or a very productive life. So planning is not the problem. Everyone makes plans. The problem that James is, is uh, emphasizing and, and that the book Respectable Sins draws our attention to by looking at this passage is when we make plans without any acknowledgement of our dependence on God or His will for our life or, or what He may bring into our paths. And so the point is, as we go through life and as we make plans and as we set our agenda, we always need to realize that God may have different plans and that every plan that we take, every activity that we set our mind to, we are utterly dependent on God uh, for success in that, and we need to seek His will in our planning. So that's the first uh, thing that we see there, is, is that we are often ungodly with our plans. Now, the next thing uh, that um, is given as an example is that we are ungodly in our prayers. And I want to draw your attention to Colossians 1, verses 9 through 10. It tells us this. Paul writes, We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with knowledge of His will in all wisdom, and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, here's the point. Did you notice the difference between how Paul prayed for the Christians there in Colossae who are under persecution, who are dealing with all kinds of hardships? Do you see how his prayer is different from what most of us would pray in that situation? You see, Paul is praying not for their physical provisions to be met, not for their uh, comforts, not for them to be uh, spared from hardships or to um, for their hardships to come to an end. He's not praying for any of those sort of things. He's praying for their spiritual growth, their spiritual nourishment, their knowledge of God to be increased, their spiritual maturity to increase. He was concerned about the things that God's concerned about. You know, we often, and and when I say we, I'm talking about myself as well, we often focus on ourselves in our prayers. Now, we do occasionally pray for other people, but most of our prayers, if we really had to divide up our prayers and really kind of do a pie chart of what percentage of our prayers are for other people and what percentage of our prayers are for ourselves, I think most of us would realize that our prayers are mostly concerned with ourselves. And when we pray for ourselves, or even if we're praying for others, we're often praying for physical concerns. You look at most 
prayer requests that are given, whether it be at church or a Bible study or just in, in your interactions with other people, most of our prayer concerns are for this person to be healed or this person to uh, have uh, financial provisions in their life or whatever it may be. It's a lot of physical concerns, which are fine. God tells us to pray for all those needs, and he tells us to pray for our daily bread. That's a very practical need. So I'm not saying that we don't pray for those things. But again, if we were to look at the percentage of things that we pray for, we our physical prayer requests uh, are grossly outweigh our spiritual prayer requests. And when we pray for ourselves, and sometimes for others, and when we're praying for our physical concerns, we also are often praying for our comfort. You know, we're often praying for whatever hardships that we're going through to be taken away, whatever difficulties that we're facing uh, for God to remove them from our life. But here's something that I was taught early on in my Christian life, and I've, I've held on to it because it's so true, and I, I pass it on to you. Keep this in mind. God is much more concerned, and he prioritizes our holiness far above our happiness. When it comes to what God is most concerned about in your life and in my life and in the life of the church, he is more concerned about our holiness than he is about our happiness. And we need to keep that in mind. And that needs to be reflected in our prayers. If we are not praying for the things that God is concerned about, we need to ask ourselves whether or not we're praying ungodly prayers. We're not factoring in God and what he wants us to be praying for and what he wants us to focus on. Uh, And so just keep that in mind. Like I said, I know these are very convicting. These examples are very uncomfortable to hear, but this is what is is good as you work through books like this is that it really helps bring to light things that you otherwise would not see. So we're often ungodly in our plans. We're often ungodly in our prayers, but we're also ungodly oftentimes in our work. Now, Paul continues to talk to the Colossians, and this time in this passage of Scripture that I'm going to point to you, point out to you, uh, he's going to focus on slaves. And this is what he says. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ Jesus. And what I love about this passage is Paul is talking uh, to some individuals who are in the most difficult of work situations. They are slaves. Their employers, in many cases, don't care one bit about their health, their happiness, their contentment, the IRAs and retirement accounts and all that sort of stuff. He doesn't care about any of that sort of stuff. They are just working these people. They are cattle. They are property to them. But uh, Paul talks to them not about how they can get out of slavery, not how they can have um, immediate comforts and how they need to um, pray for their their safety and for their health and for their peace of mind and stuff like that. He says, I want you to look at your situation, not as an ungodly person where you're just seeing the circumstances, but I want you to see your circumstances, however bad they may be, through the lens of God. I want you to factor in God in, your, in how you evaluate things, and I want you to see your master 
through the eyes of God. I want you to see your work as though you're working for the Lord. And that is a more godly perspective that Paul is trying to encourage in them. And that is what we need to see as well. See, when we go to work, and maybe you are in a, a difficult work situation, or maybe you've been laid off, or maybe you, you are retired and finances are, are really fixed and, and difficult to um, to make ends meet with, or whatever it may be. Maybe you are in a just a, a difficult situation of life. But you can make one of two choices. You can look at it through your own eyes and not factor in God and try to, um, to fix your situation on your own uh, wisdom and in your own strength, or you can see it through the eyes of Christ. You can see God is intimately involved in your life and working and moving on your behalf. And as you see things through that light, you are growing in godliness and you'll be able to rest in the peace that God is, is for you, not against you, as you're um, working out the difficult situation you may find yourself in. There is a vast difference between those two, although it may not be as apparent from the outside looking in. Two people can be working hard at their job, one doing it because uh, they are, are just a hard worker, and the other one doing it because they are working unto the Lord. And, and those are two very different circumstances. One is ungodly, one is very godly. Uh, again, Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 10.31, he says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Here again, Paul says that every single thing that we do, whether it's eating, drinking, working, you name it, every area of life should be done with consideration of God and factoring in God's relevance and presence in that moment. And so I know for some of us, we may look at that and think, well, that's just a, a little bit excessive, isn't, isn't it? Doesn't that mean that I have to go around quoting Bible verses all the time and, and uh, constantly sharing my faith with every single person I come across? And, and uh, you know, isn't that going to be a little fanatical? Isn't that going to be a little obsessed? And, and the answer is yes, that is a, uh, an obsession. Yes, that is fanatical, and that's not a bad thing. That, that's a good thing. We're fanatical about a lot of different stuff. Why not be fanatical about God? But no, it doesn't mean that you always have to be um, um, quoting uh, Scripture and always witnessing to every single person and pointing out sin and stuff like that. You don't have to be doing that. You can simply be living your life with the knowledge that God is with you, aware of his presence in your life, and sensitive to what he may be leading you to do or not do in any given situation. Does that mean you're going to be sharing your faith a lot more? Probably so. Um, but does that mean that you're going to be obnoxious and that you're going to push uh, your friends and, and people in society away from you? Honestly, probably not. Because if you think about it, you look at the life of Jesus. He was the most godly person that ever walked the face of the earth. And yet crowds gathered to him, and not just religious crowds, but I'm talking about the sinners, the tax collectors, the people who were marginalized, the people who were far from God. They wanted to be around Jesus because there's something attractive. There's something uh, winsome about that godliness. People want to draw closer to it. So honestly... If you begin factoring God more and more into your thoughts and into your attitude as you go through life, you're going to be more positive. You're going to be more um, life-giving and encouraging. People are going to gravitate towards you because they sense something different about you. So this is a very good thing. Uh, and then fourth, and this will be the final example that we see in the book, is that uh, oftentimes we are ungodly in our faith. And again, I know that seems almost like an uh, oxymoron where how can you be ungodly and uh, have faith, but that's the case, especially if we're not factoring God into our thoughts. Here's what uh, the psalmist says in Psalm 42. It says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, 
So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Do you notice the, the, the intensity, the hunger for the presence of God here in the psalm? He, he is desiring a closer relationship with God. Even when he leaves the temple, he leaves his time of worship with God, he can't wait to come back into God's presence and worship him. And the beautiful thing about the New Testament is that God's presence goes with us everywhere. We are the temple of God. But even as Christians, we oftentimes can go um, days and weeks without really diving deep into prayer, diving deep into scripture, diving deep into wanting to know more about God and spending time with him. In fact, I'm going to quote another uh, section out of uh, the Respectable Sins book, and this is what Jerry Bridges says. He says, a person may be moral and upright or even a busy or even busy in Christian service, yet have little or no desire to develop an intimate relationship with God. This is a mark of ungodliness. For the godly person, God is the center and focal point of his or her life. Every circumstance and every activity of life, whether in the temporal or spiritual realms, is viewed through the lens of this God-centeredness. And so that's really the mark of what we want in all of our lives, this God-centeredness that everything we do, we're thinking of God and we are including his will and his presence into our life. And so again, as I said earlier, every one of us, every single person under the sun has uh, a level of ungodliness in their life. Even we as Christians uh, can can fall prey to this. In fact, uh, here's another uh, quick quote. It says, total ungodliness and utter um, total godliness and utter ungodliness are the opposite ends of a continuum. All of us are somewhere between those two extremes. As you think about your own life, remember that we're not talking about righteous versus wicked behavior. We're talking about living all of life as if God is relevant or irrelevant. That's really what it's all about. And so my question to each and every one of you is, how much are you thinking and dwelling on God, the thoughts of God, and just resting in his presence throughout the day in everything that you do? And how can you grow more and more in your godliness? And that's really the question I want to leave with you is how can we grow more and more of our awareness of God's presence in our life and think of him throughout our day-to-day activity? And it really comes back to training your thoughts and training your minds to reflect on God. Constantly thinking through who God is and how he's involved in your life and seeing all of life's activities, the good as well as the bad, through that lens of God is doing something in this moment and in this activity. What can I learn and how can I use this as my act of worship to him? I challenge you this week, think think on that and think how you can apply that to your life and watch how it completely transforms your relationship with God and how you approach your marriage, how you approach your children and your work and, and the difficulties of life. Watch how it just transforms the mundane things into wonderful acts of worship. Well, I'm going to leave things uh, there for this week. I hope that's been a blessing for you. I know it's been a challenging uh, uh, admonition for me as I prepared uh, for this week. I'm looking forward to next week. We're going to look at anxiety and frustration and see how this is a sin that we tolerate oftentimes in our life. So I hope that you will uh, join us back next week as we take a look at that. In the meantime, think on these things. Uh, Let other people know if you've enjoyed uh, this video or this podcast, let other people know about it and let it be a blessing to them as well. But until then, I hope you all take care and God bless.